Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the club. I am so happy to have you here. We are going to tackle a topic today that, quite frankly, is kind of it's kind of freaky. It's mold, and um, it's something that is becoming more and more of a problem that I, you know, we see with people. It's um, something that is hidden that you may not realize, um, and. I have seen it affect two people in my life. Personally, my husband has been affected by a mold issue. And then um, Carly, my um, operations manager at the Christian Health Club, my right-hand woman who is also a nutritional therapy, therapy practitioner and now a nurse. Carly, last time we had you on, you were almost finished with nursing school, but now you're legit. Right, girl? Yes, I'm too legit to quit. That's I'm, right. <laughs> I'm so excited to finally be real. So <laughs> it stands for real nurse. RN stands for real nurse. Oh, there you go. Real nurse. <laughs> That's what you are. So Carly is with us today. And she is unfortunately so well-versed in it by this point from experiencing it over her life that I was like, oh, you're like the mold whisperer. You can just snip that out like nobody's business. You, you know, she is really in tune with... Um, knowing when it's in her environment. And so um, I felt like she was the perfect person just to kind of introduce us to this topic and um, give us some more information on it. Yes. So today I'm just going to share some of my personal experience and all the research that I have unfortunately had to do over the past eight or so years. Um, Just be aware that none of what I'm sharing um, is medical advice. It might not apply to you. Just always consult with a healthcare provider before you make any crazy changes to your medical routine. That's right. We listened to my cute disclaimer by my daughter at the end of the podcast. Please yes. remember to do that. That, that is key. <laughs> Just because that she's super cute, key. not only because of the disclaimer. <laughs> right, right. I know. The day that she can say her R's is going to be heartbreaking it's for me. Be sad. Um, okay, so can you kind of give us – Give us your history with this. How, um, you know, what made you become interested in mold? What forced you maybe to become interested in mold? Um, just give us a little background on that. So I pretty much had a relatively normal and healthy childhood. I mean, other than having a terrible diet, so eating a bunch of sugar. Um, when I was 12, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is autoimmune. So other than that, I was perfectly healthy up until about my junior year of high school. Um, Then all of a sudden, I just woke up one day and I could not get out of bed. I was so weak and fatigued that raising my arms above my head would make me dizzy. Standing up too quickly would make me dizzy. And by too quickly, I mean like within a minute. (laughs) Mm. And I went through periods of extreme fatigue, weight gain, joint pains, which I'm now realizing that rhymes, 
uh, dizziness for years, and I never knew what my actual trigger was. And so throughout this entire time period, I went through uh, nutrition school, um, so changing my diet, eating only real food, getting rid of gluten, um, changing to a better exercise routine, sleeping, etc. That just, even though I did all of those things, it just was not enough to keep my symptoms at bay. It made me better, um, but it didn't ever actually fix the issue. I've told Chelsea this before, but I felt like I was almost on the edge of a precipice. Like every time maybe I would make a wrong choice, like I would, I know that I don't do well with eggs and I would eat eggs, I would be almost like back to square one. Like the smallest change would push me really, really close to where I was initially, where I was super fatigued and couldn't get out of bed. So then during my freshman year of college, you know, everything hit the fan. So I was living in an old, musty dorm room. There was no visible mold, but there was a super old um, AC vent, and it smelled pretty musty. Um, all my symptoms really reached um, their absolute fever pitch. So I gained 40 pounds that year, which brings a new definition to the term freshman 15, <laughs> which was heartbreaking for me being an 18-year-old girl. That's like That was pretty much the worst thing I can imagine happening, which is, sounds extremely shallow, but... When you're 18 and your world's pretty small, it was hard. Um, And I could barely get out of bed. I had no energy. I was brain fogged all the time. I still managed to do pretty well in school, but I would almost use all my energy up on that and then being with my friends. And the rest of the time, I was just asleep. So the thing that kind of triggered me to know that maybe it was about mold, I came home for the summer and I felt better. And that was one of the first times where I had a noticeable improvement. And so I thought to myself, you know, over the next several years, um, what is this common thread that makes me feel sick? Because I would change environments and that would be the number one thing that would change my symptoms. So a few years later, um, a coworker of mine um, would cough and have like allergy type of symptoms. And I asked her what the issue was, like if she'd been checked out because it was going on for months. And she said, oh, I'm allergic to mold. Um, And she explained to me that every time, like essentially every time she was exposed to mold, she would have so many respiratory symptoms and she'd be coughing and it was really disruptive to her life. And that made me think, wait, that sounds really familiar. Maybe this could be my trigger. So I finally made the connection at that point that mold was the number one thing that was holding me back from healing. Because mold really leads to hypersensitivity in every area of life. So it was making me react more strongly to foods, making my sleep worse, and then contributing to mood imbalances like depression and anxiety, um, acne, hormonal imbalances. I actually lost my period for six years. Golly. Which is crazy. Yes. So long. Um, and it, I actually just got it back finally next year. I didn't have it from age 16 until 22. So it just became clear that when my body was exposed to mold in any form or fashion, I was much worse off. I mean, whoa, that's what a journey with that and trying to uncover that. My gosh. Well, I mean, how would somebody know if mold would be an issue for them? So mold, I like to say before I start talking about the symptoms, that it creates systemic inflammation. So the symptoms are not just isolated to, let's say, coughing and sneezing and like allergy or respiratory type of symptoms. It really is a systemic, a whole body issue. 
So some of the things that I personally experienced, I'll go through those first. I had fatigue, weakness, um, muscle aches and cramps. Um, I actually, I call myself a mold sniffing dog because um, I've gone into buildings and immediately gotten a headache within about 10 to 15 minutes of being in there, which is, (laughs) it's my hidden talent. Um, You know, red eyes, light sensitivity, One of the things that really um, affected me was chronic sinus infections. I've pretty much had a sinus infection since I was 16 years old. and Mm, That's fun. So fun. And (laughs) I've had so many doctors. The ENT looks at me like this girl has issues because every time I would go, they're like, oh, let's try a different antibiotic. I don't know why this isn't working. Such and such. Yep. And then one thing that really affects me also is shortness of breath. Like I went from being able to run – four or five miles at a time being a cross-country runner to being able to run maybe a tenth of a mile and then having to stop. So it became really, really pervasive in my life. Um, A few other things that really affected me, um, you'll get really sweaty because essentially your body is trying to rid itself of toxins. And so it just makes you sweat at the the drop of a hat. Hmm. And then focus and concentration issues, word recollection issues, memory, et cetera. Um, And then you have a disruption of essentially your pituitary gland, um, which is in your brain and regulates how much water your body retains. So you get really thirsty and you pee a lot. So those are some of the major symptoms. I know it sounds, they sound very unrelated, but I will explain all of it later. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the frustrating thing is, is that that encompasses a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of things that could be, and it could be, I'm sure any variation of those things. And so extremely hard to pinpoint, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so my husband, I mentioned he had mold issues when he was growing up, he lived in Houston and, um, he had really severe asthma, you know, debilitating, just, um, debilitating asthma and they just, you know, thought it was, that was just what, you know, he just had, you know, kind of inexplicable, but come to find out later, they found mold in, in his, um, in his room. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so eventually they moved out of that house and, and he's been fine. And so, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, any of these symptoms that you could be having, it, you just, it would be so hard to know. So I'm glad you're here because, so you can explain this to us because you could be doing everything right, be feeling like you're, help, you're doing everything for your health and then still feel terrible. And then I'm sure like still go to the doctor and the doctor's like, you're crazy. Or, you know, I mean, yep. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, chronic I, I, fatigue syndrome is like the number one, I would say, misdiagnosis for mold issues hmm. because a syndrome in and of itself implies that they don't know why it's why it happens and so it's to me it's kind of like a cop-out it's like oh we'll just call it chronic fatigue syndrome because we aren't sure and I think that's a lot of people end up getting bucketed into that and a lot of people with asthma I mean they know that it exacerbates it for sure but some of these um, medical professionals wouldn't say that it would cause it in and of itself um, unless it's a really severe problem Right. And I, I have to believe, cause I know this has happened for people, even with a gluten sensitivity, that's been hard to, you know, before it was more common knowledge, celiac and that kind of thing. I know my, my own, um, my aunts who have celiac disease, I mean, going to the doctors for 10 years, trying to figure it out. And, you know, the doctors kind of look at you literally like, you know, it, you know, I think 
they're trying to like prescribe them Prozac or something like you're depressed, Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. anxious, you know, um, instead of really getting to that root cause. So I just can't imagine how frustrating that would be to really be trying to figure this out. But, but then also, you know, how like, oh, thankful to have an answer. So Mm -hmm. let's talk more about like kind of all of the logistics of all this. So how does mold grow basically inside? So we all know that mold is a natural part of like the microbial ecosystem. Like we know that all bacteria are not bad. So we can't say that all mold is bad. So mold is different from other living organisms because it's opportunistic, meaning that it is always on the hunt for a good environment because it needs a food source in order to survive. So the way that it begins to grow inside is when mold spores. So a mold is living and then it secretes mold mold spores to kind of help it reproduce. It's trying to spread its it's trying to spread itself throughout. Um, they spores will land on surfaces that are wet or damp. Also, spores can collect on porous items that includes furniture, books, um, even drywall. And then when those items are exposed to water, this will activate the spores and contribute to mold growth. And the reason they go for those porous items is because generally they contain cellulose. So like that wood pulp fiber is a really good food for the mold. So that's why those those items are often a vector for the mold. Interesting. Okay. Um, Okay, that's interesting. Well, what about... um, you know, when I think of mold, I just think of places like a bathroom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of mm-hmm. obvious places like that. But, you know, but then you say like a book or so, I've seen moldy books, you know, and yep. um, things like that. Okay, that's good to know. Um, okay, how does mold affect the body then? So one thing I do want to mention before we move on from the growing thing is there's like a little formula I like to remember for how mold likes to likes to grow, likes to go. So it needs water, it needs warmth, and it needs a food source. So papers, furniture, books, or drywall, those are all food sources. Um, By water, anything, a humidity level over 55%. Um, And like you said, with a bathroom, poor ventilation. So, you know, a small confined space like a bathroom without an exhaust fan or a window. So one of the number one things you should do, I'll explain more about prevention later, but is after you shower to keep the door to the bathroom open, actually, to let the water come out and use the exhaust fan. Okay. And then one thing that surprises people is that buildings that are built eco-friendly are actually more prone to mold because they have less air exchange with the outside. So it's more likely to have an imbalanced microbial ecology because everything's sealed off. And so you're not having proper ventilation with the outside. Oh, that's interesting. And then someplace like I live in Florida. So if somebody shuts off their air conditioning for, you know, if they're leaving for a few months and they turn their air conditioning up to 86, that is like the perfect conditions for mold to grow. And I know it's expensive to keep your air conditioning on, but especially here, you can't leave your air conditioning off because it is like the mold's like, woohoo, ready to go. Yeah. It's more expensive to, to get probably yes. mold out of your house once, <laughs> once yeah. you have it. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So now I'll go on to, you know, how does mold actually affect the body? Now that we explained how it gets inside. So I will also say that mold, we know that mold can be on food and mold can be in food. 
like there are some fermented foods and people sometimes say with mold, you know, you should avoid fermented foods, etc. But actually the vast majority of people that are affected by mold, it's via in- inhalation. So you have to breathe it in. It's not from eating it because you actually, your digestive system can destroy it better than when you just breathe it in. It's almost like you're defenseless essentially. So blue cheese is okay. Is yes. Blue cheese will not give you mold toxicity is what I'm trying okay. to say. <laughs> I want that to be well, a podcast if, quote. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Hey, well, what about, what about peanuts? So peanuts, essentially the reason why people get so upset about peanuts is because when they are picked, they they contain aflatoxin, and then they're put in like these silos where essentially they can grow mold. It's kind of like when you talk about corn, how people say that corn can be moldy as well. Um, I personally eat peanuts, and they don't flare my symptoms, and other you know other nuts do. So I really do think it depends on the person. You just have to be cognizant of your you know your personal body and see how it affects you. Okay, that's good to know. I avoided peanuts for many years because of that. And then my kids got sick of almond butter and sun butter. And so we just kind of rotated peanut butter back in. And, you know, they seem to do okay with it. We, we, we do rotate our nut butters. But, um, but anyway, yeah. okay. I'm not into that. the food fear. So I, yeah. I focus less on the food and more on the, you know, making your air quality as good as it can be. So let me get into the different ways that mold can affect you. So I am a special special snowflake. So there are, you know, 75% of the population responds to mold in a certain way. And then 25% is extra sensitive. So I'll talk about most people first. So in most people, when you breathe in whatever it is that, um, that toxin. So I guess I should backtrack. So biotoxins are the toxins that mold produces. So the word biotoxin is just a toxin that's produced by a living thing. This could either be from a mold or something like Lyme disease. Those bacteria can produce biotoxins as well. So for most people, the toxins, when they breathe them in or they're in their circulation, it's tagged by the immune system. So it's identified and then it's broken down and removed from the blood by the liver. However, those special people that I mentioned, some people don't have a certain immune response gene that's required to form antibodies against the toxins. So this is about 25% of people. However, it requires a trigger. It's somewhat like autoimmune disease where I was not born with type 1 diabetes. I got type 1 diabetes after having pneumonia. That trigger caused my immune system to attack the pancreas. So Mm. it's similar to that. It's not autoimmune, but it does require a trigger Um, It's like a stressful event or a virus, anything like that can trigger that gene to turn on. So in those cases, when that gene is activated, the biotoxins are not tagged and then they just remain in the body indefinitely. They're just going through your circulation. It's like a a toxin merry-go-round. They're just free to circulate and wreak havoc on the body. That sounds fun. <laughs> Doesn't it sound fun? It's like the least fun merry-go-round in the world. Um, so, so then once present in the body, those toxins, if they just keep going around and around, the body is like, what the heck is going on? So they begin to set off inflammation in the body. And so it elevates inflammation in the capillaries, which leads to all of the respiratory type of symptoms like shortness of breath and cough and fatigue. And it also reduces the production of a really important hormone called MSH, melanocyte stimulating hormone, which, you know, this is a lot. It contributes to leaky gut, 
It makes your sleep wonky, you know, can give you a bad mood. It reduces the immune response, which can lead to those chronic infections that I talked about earlier, like the sinus infections. And then also affects the pituitary gland. So your your essentially your water balance is off in the body. So you get thirst, low blood volume slash dehydration. And then also the last fun effect is like graveyard level sex hormones. Like this is why I lost my period because my progesterone and estrogen were super, super low. And that's because of this illness's effect on the pituitary gland. Okay, wait, can I just repeat that? Graveyard level sex hormones. Yes. <laughs> like they are dead up in there. That is. It is not good. That is quite, gives you quite the picture. Okay. Yes, yes. It's, it's really not good. I know when they first, I was, you know, of course, you know, when you lose your period, everyone's so concerned. But then on around year two, they're kind of like, eh, I don't know what to do with you. So at the very beginning, they put me through all these tests, and they're like, wow, your hormones are so low. It's like you're postmenopausal. And I'm like, a, I'm a 20-year-old woman, and I'm like, uh. No. <laughs> no. But it's all good. I'm getting it back now. Um, the one thing I will mention, everything I said above is more related to people that have that genetic predisposition to not be able to get rid of the toxins. But if people that don't have it can still be affected by it. So they will have more respiratory and allergic type of symptoms. Like they'll have a runny nose, red eyes, um, coughing. So it's less systemic in those people. And then once they leave the environment, the symptoms generally go away. Okay. How do you know if you have that genetic predisposition? So you take a test. It's a genetic test. It's called the HLA-DR genetic test. Um, I believe you can order it yourself through one of those, you know, self-pay labs, but you can also get it through your physician. I'm going to go through at the bottom talking about, you know, at the, the bottom of the show, I'm going to talk about, you know, how to find a practitioner that can work with you because I really recommend that. But essentially, you'd want to get your genetics tested to see if you have that genetic predisposition. Okay. It's like a 23andMe, but it's more specific just for this one thing. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, um... Okay, so kind of go into more like how can you how can you test you know for mold um, if if you think mold's affecting you like wh- where do you start what do you do? So there's kind of two options. So the first thing I would do is test the environment. So you can either do an ERMI test on your own. So the ERMI stands for Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. So what that is essentially they it's like a DNA test for your dust. So <laughs> they're trying to see what it's made out of. So it, you basically use a vacuum and a cloth to pick up dust in the building, in your home, to determine the concentrations of the DNA of different species of molds. And so then you send this test off to the lab, you mail it off, and they will classify the molds they found in the dust sample based on you know group one molds, which are more toxic generally, and then group two molds, which are less toxic. And then they assign a number to it. So the scale ranges from about negative 10 up to 20. I believe it can actually be higher than 20. That's just kind of the mid-range negative 10 to 20. Okay, gotcha. And then the other option, if you are not a DIYer, um, I personally prefer to use a mold inspector for a more accurate and comprehensive picture because sometimes just doing the ERMI independently could leave room for user error. 
Like you have to have a certain amount of dust. You have to leave it for two weeks and not disturb it because then you could get a falsely low reading. Um, so ma the major error with Ermi is that it will end up being falsely low if you didn't collect it properly. So with mold people, I know everyone's always concerned about the liability of it, but you just want a certified, licensed, bonded, etc., mold inspection company and it's preferable to find one that is independent of remediation services because then they'll be able to give you the most you know comprehensive picture without being biased towards remediation okay by remediation you mean fixing the problem yes remediation this is, is what i want to sell yes. you remediation <laughs> is it. remediation is mold lingo for remove <laughs> okay, so we want somebody that's a little less biased mm -hmm. when, when they're trying to sell you the package, the remediation package or what have you. Okay, gotcha. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, so the mold inspector that I personally use, I'll put a link to all of this information in the blog accompanying blog post slash show notes. Um, the person that I use uses swab testing. So he tests the surfaces, he tests the air, and he'll test the ERMI. So if you have the option of doing the ERMI or not with a mold inspector, I would always recommend doing it. I know it's expensive, but it gives you a definitive look at the breadth of the problem. So personally, I'm not really a numbers person, but I just think it's helpful to have a number to look at. So, okay, how bad is this problem if negative 10 is really good and 20 is the worst? I think it's a little more objective than just saying, oh, well, this room looks pretty bad. This room's okay. You know, the air conditioning, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you have so a quantitative like look at knowing what it is. Yes, and, and I, I like that the ERMI. That's, I'm just an ERMI person. All right. <laughs> and then um, testing your body. So here goes here goes a lot. So the first step really of um, you know, looking to see if mold's affecting you is to determine that there was some sort of exposure. You know, home, school, work, anything like that from one of the above tests. You know, the ERMI, a mold inspector, anything like that. And so one thing I will say is if something's visibly moldy or musty, you don't have to guess that there's a problem. If, you know, finances are really, really tight, if I saw something visibly moldy or musty, I'd be like, no, I'm not going to test this and I'm just going to try to go somewhere else, essentially. Okay, that makes sense. Because you don't want to spend a bunch of money on something if you're not spend, like planning on investing in fixing the problem. Mm-hmm. So then after you've kind of determined, I mean, even even if it was in the past, I mean, when I first was diagnosed with this, um, it's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and it was due to mold in my case. So I was diagnosed two years ago, and I knew that I had an exposure, but I didn't have access to that place anymore to test it. So it was kind of, we kind of went on it by faith. So if you're thinking this could be a problem for you, one first line test that I recommend is called VCS. It's visual contrast sensitivity. And the reason why this is so good is because exposure to these biotoxins actually affects your nerves, especially your optic nerve, which means that we could do a vision test to determine if the nerves have been affected. And it's not something you would necessarily notice in regular life because it changes your ability to see contrast. Your visual acuity or how well you can see does not generally get affected unless the problem is really severe. Interesting. Okay. And it's about $12. So it's, you know, it's not perfect, but it is inexpensive and it can be done at home as an initial screening tool. Whenever I get anybody asking me about what they should do if they have, if they're concerned about mold or if they have no idea if it's even affecting them, I'll generally say, oh, this is a really good thing just to see if it could possibly be affecting you. 
But if it's negative, it's not like, oh, no, def- mold's definitely not a problem. And if it's positive, mold's not the only thing that can cause that. It just kind of helps narrow it down a little bit. All right. Okay, good. What else? So then you would need to work with a mold literate practitioner. So a nurse practitioner, a doctor. So they, the doctors that I initially was familiar with, um, I like the shoemaker certified doctors or in general functional medicine doctors can be really helpful with this as well. So any of those type of practitioners could be really helpful, but you want somebody that's well-versed in mold. It's very complex and it takes some experience to be able to really get people where they need to go with this. I mean, these illnesses, we, we still know less about them than we, than we need to know. They're still very, very new. So you want somebody with as much experience as possible. Um, it's really hard in my experience to walk someone through this as the patient um, and try to have and try to have them follow your lead. You kind of need somebody to guide you. I just mm-hmm. think that would have saved me so much stress in my life. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that would have been just so helpful and just more direct. Yes, <laughs> you know? much more direct path instead of <laughs> wandering in the wilderness for a few years. Yes. Um. So kind of once you have a practitioner you, li- you like, then they should be able to help you with any testing you might need to order. Some common things they'll order are the HLA-DR genetic testing. So like I mentioned earlier, mold can affect you even if you don't have the genetic predisposition. You know, in that case, you just need to get out of the environment and your body should be able to get rid of the issue on its own. Um, but you can't have sears. So chronic inflammatory response syndrome, however, if you do not have a genetic predisposition, because that's kind of the definition of Sears. So people with Sears have the symptoms until they're really treated properly. And so that treatment that they generally do helps the body to recognize those mycotoxins as foreign and enables the body to tag and remove them. It kind of helps to mimic a well-functioning immune system. That, yeah, that's interesting. I would think of this te- having this test, and I'm just thinking of people that live in maybe moldier type cities or, or cities or susceptible to mold. I mean, that would be something good to know. Like if I had this genetic predisposition mm-hmm. um, to being more sensitive and I live in Houston or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, yep. That would be, <laughs> All know, the humid places. Valuable. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Okay. And then there's some lab tests they'll generally recommend. Um, on Dr. Shoemaker's website, he's really the pioneer of all of this mold illness stuff. It's survivingmold.com, which sounds very dramatic, I know. Um, so one thing that I, I will say is that th- some, some practitioners will try to do urine mycotoxin testing, which essentially just tests the urine to see if the body um, is, you know, in your urine, if there's mycotoxins. And, you know, from which molds are they from, blah, blah, blah. Um, But however, there's some questions as to whether it's clinically, you know, the best tool to use. Because if somebody's not detoxing well, sometimes they're not going to be putting out anything into their urine. If it's really on the toxin merry-go-round, it's not going to be coming out. So you could be, so somebody could be detoxing well and just had an exposure to mold and be peeing out a lot of mycotoxins because they're excreting them. Or if somebody's really, really sick, it could just be circulating within them and not and not being peed out. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that's that's why I don't generally um, go for that type of testing. But Dr. Shoemaker recommends a bunch of other lab tests, and those really just check more for the downstream effects 
of mold. So inflammation markers um, to check your hormones, all of those things. Check your leptin levels, which is your satiety hormone, because that can be really thrown off by mold as well. So he really checks more for the downstream biomarkers because there's really not a good test for this illness right now. It's really a combination of all those things. You know, these having these inflammatory markers be out of range, having an exposure, and having, having the genetic predisposition, all of those things together are kind of what makes um, a diagnosis of Sears possible. I'm just thinking you said leptin. So the leptin hormone, that's, I always call it the put down the fork sister hormone, you know, like mm-hmm. stop eating. I mean, so mold could interfere with that signaling with your leptin yep. signaling. So you might be feeling like, I can't stop eating. I'm so hungry mm-hmm. and just eating the house down and feeling terrible about yourself. And it could be this underlying mold exposure. Yep. And you are, you're beating yourself up because you're, you're thinking, I can't control myself. Why do I have right. no willpower? All this stuff. Um, and it, it really is because to me, I think it's because of the survival um, fight or flight that's activated by this. So your leptin is like, oh gosh, we have to, you know, we have to eat. We're trying uh, to survive yes. here. We're, we're not really surviving. So that makes sense. I think that's what I think it is. And I, I, that's, that's one thing that I really want to, you know, get across that this is something that has made me gain a ton of weight. And I want to, you know, put this out there for everyone that is frustrated about their weight. I mean, I'm a nutritionist. I do what I think is everything right, and I still have these issues. So just give yourself some grace. You know, Mm -hmm. I think our bodies are really doing the best that they can. And in my case, my body just can't deal with this certain type of environmental exposure. And so I have to learn to compensate for that. And I think that's one thing that, you know, I really want to drive home today. Just give your body some grace because even all this dysfunction that the mold is causing in the body, it's really our body responding to it. That's what's causing it. It's just trying to keep us safe. Right, right. I always say your body is always on your side. You know, we feel like we're battling so many things and it's us against our body and what have you. But really the body is always trying to work on your behalf, even when it doesn't feel like it. And that these (laughs) symptoms are a sign of a bigger problem. And in this case, you know, it's just this environmental toxin that's just wreaking havoc. So, wow. I'm so glad you shared that. And then in terms of treatment, I'll just say it again. I truly think it is essential, you know, all capital letters to work with somebody who's well-versed in mold when going through this. You know, the treatment recovery process can be really difficult and quite long, and you'll need professional guidance to get through it. So everything I'm about to say is not medical advice. I'm just giving you a general idea of what you could expect. Just please speak with a healthcare provider. So one thing I do want to know as well is that treating the body does not work, like does not work unless you're removed from a toxic environment. And per Dr. Shoemaker, even 10 minutes in a toxic environment begins to change your body on a cellular level. It's just like with anything, if you're really sensitive to gluten and you keep eating it every day, you're never going to get where you want to go, even if you're making all the other changes that you need to make. If you're sensitive to something, it needs to be removed or you're going to be have a really hard time moving forward with your health. Exactly. And then remediation protocols really depend on the situation, but it generally entails, you know, removal or special cleaning of all porous materials, like the stuff I mentioned earlier that is the mold's food. So books, clothes, furniture, 
in almost all cases books are really hard to clean so I've had to get rid of some books in the past um clothes have to be washed with borax and some antimicrobial like mold specific cleaners to get it out so just be aware I, if you have to move and you have to go to a clean environment don't bring all your stuff with you make sure you pay attention to those directions because you don't want to bring moldy things into a new place mm-hmm. that makes sense And then treatment typically involves taking binders. Those can include things like activated charcoal, chlorella, um, clay, or cholestyramine. Cholestyramine is actually a cholesterol medication, hence the name. So what it does is it sequesters the bile that our, um, our liver produces and our gallbladder excretes when we are eating a fatty meal. And so by sequestering that bile the cholestyramine binds up to the mycotoxins and allows the body to tag them and remove them instead of letting them go around and around. That's helpful. And isn't it strange though that I'm like that something like a cholesterol medication has helped me and I'm so against, (laughs) I'm so not a low fat person. It does have its place. That's why I say, always say modern medicine has its place for sure. And then one thing that another another thing that's really important for treatment is, you know, taking it slow, resting, you know, liver and detoxification support. So things like infrared sauna, gentle movement and castor oil packs are typically recommended by these type of providers to assist with detoxification. Okay. Yes. Always good. I like to get in my infrared sauna and my juve light regularly. Um, okay, good. That's great. Um, okay. What about, is that, is that all the treatments that you want to talk about? Yes, that's, I wanted to give you kind of a broad overview because every practitioner is kind of different, but generally it does involve just some detoxification support, whether it's glutathione or, you know, N-acetylcysteine, anything like that. Um, you know, support for the detoxification phases to help you get things out. Okay, great. Um, okay. I want to kind of move into, um, I think there's probably a lot of myths surrounding, you know, mold and, and such. Like, I think a lot of people would just try to go on and treat it themselves. Like, I'm going to throw some bleach on this mold right here. That'll be good, you know, or, <laughs> or whatever it may be. So can you just kind of, you know, knock out some of the, the myths and some mm-hmm. things that we need to know about that? Yep, absolutely. So the, the first one I want to talk about is that people think you have to see or smell mold in order for it to affect you. Mold can grow behind walls, or it could be a type that doesn't smell like that characteristic musty smell, but it could still be very harmful. So some types of it even smell sweet. So it's all a survival mechanism. It really depends on the species. But I will say that if the problem is visible or if it smells musty, it does tend to be worse. Kind of that, like, where there's smoke, there's fire. Like Yep. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's not the only... You know, just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. So that's why having somebody come out to your house um, to do a mold inspection can be really, really helpful because they they know the places it's most likely to grow and they can really do a comprehensive assessment for you and see if there's anything growing. Right. I mean, I would think if we could all see the mold, then it would be more obvious. But I think it's really that it's, it's hidden. It's unexpected. Yep. We're not thinking about it that, you know, because we don't see it, that 
that's when it can really wreak the havoc because you're just, you're racking, you're trying to do everything right. You're racking your brain. What could it be? And you, you don't obviously see anything. And it's that, just that kind of that hidden mold that's really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wish we could see it all. That would yeah, be, that would right. make things much easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And then another common misconception is that the only type of mold we need to worry about is Stachybotrys. So Stachybotrys chartarum is known as toxic black mold. It's the most infamous type of mold, but there are other species that warrant concern, um, notably Catomium, Cladosporium, Aspergillus, and Penicillium. And really any species of mold, whether it's, you know, thought of as quote-unquote toxic or not, when it's overgrown and out of balance with its environment, can be toxic to the body. So I want us to keep that in mind. Even though Stachybotrys is associated with the most, you know, um, adverse effects, it's not the only thing that can affect the body. Okay. And then the last one you alluded to earlier is that mold is easily cleaned with bleach. And I want to shout this from the rooftops. (laughs) (laughs) So no, it is not easily cleaned with bleach. So think about, Chelsea and I were talking about this earlier. It's like if you, you know, poked a tiger with a stick and then expected it to stay away from you. You know, when you disturb mold, it's a living thing. It produces even more mycotoxins. You know, it's just like any other living organism out there. It is just trying to survive the day. Um, so it's not going to, you know, go quietly into the night. A professional company needs to do any cleaning, any remediation. And what they generally do is they set up almost a negative air pressure containment. So what that means is the air is being you know, kept inside this little bubble, essentially, and that keeps any air that's being contaminated by scrubbing the mold from reaching outside of the area. If you're just at home with a sponge and some bleach, it's going to produce more mycotoxins and it might actually spread more. Oh, gosh. I know, right? Isn't that terrible news, though? This all sounds very involved, Carly. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't promise easy answers, but the next topic we're going to talk about is 10 easy things that you can do to prevent and protect against mold growth in any place you are. Home. Okay, good. I'm not going to leave y'all hanging, I promise. Great. These are the strategies that I personally use as mold prevention in my home. I want to, before I even go into this, say that this, you know, being afraid of mold should not steal your peace. You should not be afraid of it. You should just be aware. And because you have this knowledge, you can empower yourself. You know, you need to know about it so you're aware and, you know, be aware of the health effects. But don't let this steal your peace, take over your life, any of that. I love, you know, I love that sentiment. That is so true. I just think that the knowledge, you know, the knowledge is there. And if you know you're prone to living in a moldy place, if you, you know, have done everything and you just, you know, cannot figure something out, it's just something to explore. And that's really why I wanted to have you on to do this today. So that, Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you. Okay. Tell us what we can do, girl. Tell us what we can do. So of course I have to give you my caveat. I'm just the caveat queen today. So these tips will not be effective without remediation. So any remediation of an existing or active problem needs to be done first. Or if you move to a new clean environment, these tips can help you keep it that way. Um, I do think these tips are worth their weight in gold. This is from years of experience, talking with friends, professionals. And just to to note that preventing a mold problem is so much easier than treating one. 
So if you can just take a few of these steps, you don't have to take all 10 of them, but just take a few that seem like they could fit into your life and it'll give you some peace of mind as well. Okay. Oh, thank you. This is good. Y'all, this is like seriously insider knowledge because this is not just somebody <laughs> talking. This is somebody talking that has lived it and experienced it. So, okay. Yeah. These are going to be gold, gold tips. So hit us with them. So the first one is to use a spray that Dave Asprey, the bulletproof guy makes. It's called home biotic. And just like we use probiotics in our bodies, to keep everything in balance and not keep all the pathogenic, you know, the, the mean bacteria from overgrowing. It's the same thing in our homes. So he sells a probiotic spray that helps keep mold growth in check. It just keeps, you know, there's always going to be spores. They're everywhere. But it's just to help it, it's to help prevent it from getting out of control, out of hand. That's when we get health problems. So what I do with this is I spray it in my car. I spray it in the air vents on any fabric or porous surfaces throughout my home. Like if something gets wet, like a seat cushion or whatever it may be, I'll spray it with this and I have some more peace of mind that we have some good bacteria fighting the battle against any spores that could have been on that item. Oh, cool. And Dave has the um, the documentary Moldy, mm -hmm. right? Oh, it's so. great. Yes. I'll, we should definitely put that in the show notes for sure. Okay, let's do. So if you are somebody that's battling, you know, mold or more interested, he did a documentary on that. So check that out. The second thing is an air purifier. So I have what's an, what's called an Austin Air. So it's just a fancy like HEPA filter, which is like high and high efficiency particulate air filter. But after I research the topic more, I think there's actually two options that might be a little bit better. So the two options I'm going to talk about actually destroy the particles or the mycotoxins, anything that's in the air, any spores, rather than just filtering them out. Because with a HEPA filter, there actually is a potential that if you've had a HEPA filter in a not so great environment, you could take whatever is caught in that filter and bring it to a new space. And that would contaminate it with, you know, trapped mold spores and mycotoxins. So that's not what you want. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, with that said, I've heard good things about two brands. The first one is called Molecule. Uh, it's with a K instead of a C in Molecule. And the second brand is called High Tech Air. So I've heard good things about both, but I have not tried either. Those just could be options you might look into. Okay, we'll link to those in the show notes, like you said. Okay, cool. Yes. The next tip is also related to air. So use MERV11 air filters. Those are commercial grade. And those use, instead of other filters, they'll trap particles better and, you know, change them out whenever they're visibly dirty. So more often than recommended, I usually change them out every two months in my house. And you could buy those on Amazon. It's pretty easy to purchase them. You just have to make sure... I know my always my number one thing with air filters is I never pick the right size for my house. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm like always <laughs> returning them. So just make sure you measure your, your air um, return so you don't have to return stuff to Amazon. Right. Are those more expensive typically? They are more expensive, but to me it's worth it. And it actually, you know, it get, puts less work on the air filter as well because then the air that's being filtered throughout the entire house is pretty clean. Okay. Okay. Good to know. And then I use a dehumidifier. So I try to keep the house humidity. I set the dehumidifier at about 40% or I use like it's a smart, um, I can't even think of what it's called, 
a smart mode and so it keeps the humidity as low as it can it just kind of adapts to the level of humidity in the house so we turn it on at night whenever we leave the house because it, it is kind of loud um it is a real challenge in the summer so i'm actually about to get a second dehumidifier for the house because you really do need two to cover a substantial area of the house you know to get all the the air in okay all right yeah i can imagine where you live it's a challenge at this yes time it's of year. definitely a challenge here in florida at this time of year it's 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 always a struggle in the summer to keep the humidity down but doing everything i can with the dehumidifier and then the next thing is to keep a cheap plastic bin under your sink like where the pipes are so this is like saved i feel like so many people that i've talked to so essentially then if you get a, a little leak coming out of one of your pipes then the second you see water, it's more evident. And then you can take action and fix any leak before it causes damage. And then you also won't get water on all of your stuff and potentially damage the floor. So it's really a win-win. Yeah, that helps a lot. You go to the um, dollar store and get a bunch. <laughs> yes, for sure. And then um, dust surfaces frequently with something like a Swiffer cloth, like something really... Um, not absorbent, but it has like, it's pretty grippy, so it will get the dust really easily. Um, I know it's not eco-friendly, but those type of pads are really the best way to trap mold because dust is just food for the mold. So you try to avoid, it's like a little place where the mold particles can land. You wanna remove those as much as possible. Okay, doke. And like I Check. mentioned earlier, yes. <laughs> and then like I mentioned earlier, um, when you take a shower, it can get super, super hot and the humidity's high. So put the exhaust fan on in your bathroom before you use the shower or um, bathtub and then keep it on for at least one hour post. I usually leave mine on for several hours, if not overnight. I'm not sure if that's like damaging my exhaust fan, but humidity is my priority, so I'm not super concerned. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, also, like I said earlier, keep the door open. So like after I get out of the shower, I turn the exhaust fan on and I keep the door to my bathroom open to the rest of the house. They do also sell exhaust fans now that are automated and those will turn off whenever the humidity in the bathroom drops back down to an acceptable level. So that's like the smart way to do it. So if you're going to build a bathroom or you're building a house, I would get something like that that's automated. So you don't have to worry about that at all. Oh, that's helpful. Also, when you get out of the shower, make sure and close your shower curtain because when it's you leave it kind of all, you know, you like ball up, you mm -hmm. open it up mm -hmm. and you leave it like that, then that is more opportunity for mold to grow. Yep, absolutely. And if you if you have a shower curtain like that, yes, definitely keep it open. If you feel like there's mildew growing on it, there's something called EC3 and it's made with essential oils. It's a mold cleaner. I'll put it in the um, um, show notes. But that's a really good thing to use. If you just dilute that and you spray it on there, it could be a good preventative as well. Oh, yeah. That's, okay, good. I'm going to get that. And then also, I think this kind of goes without saying, but you do need to treat any kind of leak, anything you suspect within 24 hours of it beginning. So, you know, call a plumber ASAP. They'll need to bring a professional drying machine to dry out that, that spot. And, I mean, maybe I'm a little – um extra concerned about this but i would definitely call a mold inspection company to just take a look and just walk through and say you know are we doing everything we can to make sure this doesn't become an issue you know after 24 hours of water sitting there then mold begins to really grow and it could end up requiring remediation so 
intervene early as much as you can. Yes, I'm feeling stressed out because I'm thinking to when we, uh, a, a couple years ago, my family and I went and stayed on Nantucket. We went to Nantucket for six weeks and I had my friend checking on the house um, and she texted me one day and my um, dining room ceiling had fallen, uh, fallen in basically mm-hmm. um, because of a slow water leak. And I'm just thinking of all the things probably that we should have done a little differently, but okay. Sorry. That's just it's me. All good. Um, we, we, we move on and we, now that we know what we know, I mean, of course right. there's so many things I could be like, Oh, I didn't do that. Right. But that was, right. you know, that was before I knew. Mm-hmm. So no better do better. We're that's move, right. That's why we're here. Lives. <laughs> and that's what we're doing here to get you to this knowledge ahead of time. So if your ceiling falls in while you're on vacation or something like that, <laughs> you know what to do when you get back. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> also have someone check on your house. Cause that's a good, <laughs> uh, yeah, because we could I have mean, come to a completely yeah. flooded house. Had we, well, um, your neighbor Not intervened, that. so that's always good. Yes. So this kind of goes um, with the previous point, but if you see something, say something. If you find an issue, even if it's later, like if you see a water stain on the ceiling, it will look kind of brownish. Um, if you see like a cracked baseboard, it could be because water is kind of coming up against the sides of the house. It's better to treat it now than later, even if now is like eight years from when it happened. The problem will not just go away resolve itself if you ignore it unfortunately so the longer that it goes the more potential that it is to grow so if you see something suspicious definitely address it sooner rather than later yes um good advice right there just yep don't let it get worse please don't (laughs) coming from experience and then um Number 10, my last tip. So this is a, this is kind of a weird place that you'll find mold. But people that have front-loading washers, myself included, they have a rubber gasket on the inside of the washing machine. Like when you open the door, right in the rim, it's a rubber like kind of outline. So if you have an option, like if you're building a house or you're replacing your washer and dryer, you should actually get a top-loading washer so you don't have to worry about that. However, if you already have a front loader and it has mildew in it, um, what is often recommended is to go ahead and get that inner ring, that rubber gasket replaced because that mildew and soap scum could be going back onto your clothes, which is definitely not the goal, especially if you're somebody that's already sensitive to mold. Yeah, we had front loaders and I, I felt like everything I took out smelled like yep. mildewy and yep. moldy. I was like, what this is this is opposite of what I'm trying to accomplish here. <laughs> so we eventually got rid of ours. I was like, this is just no. This well, is they look not so right. pretty. I think that's why people. I like them. well, they right? Pretty. They look so pretty. Of course, I was like, you're rid of it, and you're like, oh, I don't want to have like a top loader. But I think mold's not very pretty either. So you gotta no. you gotta pick your battles. That's right. Um, Go old school, y'all. Go old school and get the top loader if you are in the market for uh, a new one. <laughs> and then if you're unlucky like me, um, keep the door to the washer actually open. Just like I said with the bathroom, if you leave it kind of in like a confined, especially the washer can get kind of hot with all the, you know, with hot cycles. Um, you're basically closing it and letting the mildew and mold grow. So keep the door open between loads. Um, and then also I use the antimicrobial cleaner that I talked about, that EC3 to clean out the inner gasket after loads of laundry. And that helps prevent both the soap scum and the mildew buildup. 
I use a paper towel for this and gloves and I basically just like go around and toss the paper towel again not eco-friendly but it's not worth it to me to have to clean some towel in a specific way to get rid of the mold right oh no right no not about that life at all <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put a lot of effort into this but I am not about to do that um one last thing I did want to mention I actually forgot to put in the tips is to vacuum your house like vacuum your carpets with a HEPA vacuum. So I know Dyson sells them. Essentially, it just helps, you know, pick up any, you know, particles, spores, whatever that are on your carpets and helps prevent them from getting into the air. Oh, that, that is a good one. Will you please, like, can we make a blog post about this? Because these, I know people are probably like, oh my gosh, like they need to see them in, like in front of them. So let's do a blog post on this. Would you be a, do yes. that for me? Oh, totally. I'm just imagining someone like trying to walk down the road, like, t- like making notes of this. Please don't do that. I'll yeah. Like I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know the reason why I think of it is because I do that every day, but right. we're, you know, do as we, um, as we recommend, not as we do. Right. So right. I will definitely do a blog post for this so that It'll be easy access, and then I'll link to this for the show notes so you can easily get to that. Okay, perfect. Okay, good. Um, Oh, my gosh. That, again, such good information from somebody that has lived it, experienced it, researched it, and kind of knows the whole spectrum um, of it. So thank you for that so much. Did we cover everything on that that you want to cover? Yes, I think so. The one thing... Um, I want to make sure people walk away from this with is that there is absolutely hope. This is not like, you know, a death sentence to say, oh, I have a mold issue now. I can't go anywhere and I can't do anything. Don't let that mindset limit you. Think about, you know, empower yourself with the knowledge and just do the best you can. I just avoid it the best I can. I'm definitely not perfect. Um, I do everything within my power, but then you just got to let God handle the rest. That's right. Absolutely. Okay, that's a that's great. Um, well, last time you were on when we did the cholesterol podcast, I did not ask you the anchor questions, and so I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you our anchor questions. So, if you will tell us what is your anchor meal, the, your go-to meal, the one you have all the time that you know regularly have the ingredients um, in your fridge or pantry, um, what would that be for you? So this is something actually pretty new that I've been having, but I've been having it like once a week. So I think it's called like cauliflower foods. It's like cauliflower um, pizza crust, and it doesn't have eggs in it because I'm pretty sensitive to eggs. Um, I'll have one of those pizza crusts and make up some Nyman Ranch, which is pastured pork, Italian sausage, and then raw goat milk cheddar cheese, which is really good. Um, And then with a side salad or roasted veggies, that's been my, my thing lately. That sounds delicious. It's super good. I don't know if my taste buds are damaged, though, from so many years of <laughs> of eating, you know, extremely healthy. But I, I'm pretty convinced that it's great. So Hey, they're not damaged. <laughs> they are um, cultivated. Yes, so, yes. Everyone yes. else's taste buds are just off. It's just, it's all, I'm, I have great taste buds. I agree. This would taste delicious to me. I love when I can find that Nyman Ranch. Um, I can't always find it, but when I can, it's I always super I good. Get yeah, it. when you can mm-hmm. find it, it's awesome, awesome. Good quality. And I know, yeah, it. I like to know that it's good quality because I feel like it's really hard to find pork products that I trust. So mm-hmm. getting the good pastured pork is really important. 
yes, that's a hard one for me to find. But when I'm in a place, a city that has it, I usually stock up on it. Um, okay, that sounds delicious. All right, how about an anchor Bible verse? What is um, just a verse that's really speaking to you right now, grounding you and just giving you strength? So this is a lot, but I absolutely love um, Psalm 139, and I read it really often. I don't know why I read it out loud, and everyone in my family thinks I'm so strange. But <laughs> I think that's amazing. I, just, I don't know why. It's just it really speaks to me. So for today, I'm just going to read verses 13 through 16. Um, this part's just my favorite. And it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That makes me... I've I know, it makes cry. me teary every time. But yes. <laughs> it just reminds me that the Lord has a plan for me. Like it says, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before I was born. And that just gave me, gives me so much comfort. Like as oh. long as I listen to him, mm-hmm. everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. And I think reading, um, reading scripture out loud is incredibly powerful and it's something that I want to do more. Um, there's something about that, just kind of cementing that in your bones when you read it out loud. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I love that. Okay. So if people want to learn more about, you know, what we talked about today, some mold, are there any resources that you would recommend as we wrap up here? Yes. So Dr. Shoemaker's website, his name is Richie Shoemaker. He's done a lot of research into this area of mold illness. The website, like I mentioned earlier, is called survivingmold.com, like S-U-R-V-I-V-I-N-G mold.com. The ERMI testing that I recommended earlier, there's two companies that generally tend to be my favorites, um, Mycometrics or Envirobiomics. Those are two really great companies for that. And then in terms of books um, and resources, one that's more, um, you know, patient specific is called Mold Illness, Surviving and Thriving um, by a nurse practitioner and her name is Paula Vetter. And then one that I use personally as a practitioner, as a nutritionist, I like the more geeky sciencey stuff that can be um, used for patients as well. So that book is called Toxic, and it's by Dr. Neil Nathan. He's a Shoemaker-certified physician as well. Okay. And again, everyone, all of this information will be in the show notes. Carly is going to write a blog post for us with more, you know, this information. So we'll have lots of resources for you to check out. Carly, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing your um, all of your knowledge on this topic, which can be kind of, like I said, kind of freaky, you know, when you think about it. But like you said, it's really just being aware of it and knowing that it could be an issue and then knowing what to do about it. And you've really laid out um, a lot of good information and tips for us today. So I thank you so much for that. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. All right. All right, everybody. We'll have a great rest of your week, a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon.
everyone, remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.